I used to listen to a preacher. He'd say, every time I come to church, I pray that something uh, would happen. Either revival would break out or a riot would take place. Uh, don't you let me having a crud this morning keep you from doing what God wants you. Smile. It'll be all right. Uh, I'm going to get better. I promise you that. And then I'll get loud again too. <laughs> promise you. If you've got your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter number 34. Genesis chapter number 34. We're going to continue the message that we started the Sunday uh, before Father's Day. Uh, Genesis chapter number 34 that we're set apart for God's glory. Set apart for God's glory. I want to read you three verses, uh, each one out of uh, the first verse of a chapter beginning at Genesis chapter number 34, verse number 1. The Bible says, And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. Now skip on over to chapter number 35, verse number 1. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thou, thy brother. Now turn to chapter number 36, verse number 1. Now these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, as we've opened up your word today and read it, God, I pray that you'd sovereignly take your word and, Father, help it to find a lodging place in our heart that, God, we might be that people that's called by your grace for service, that we might be a blessing to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll remember a couple of weeks ago, we started this message and we talked about thinking back over the last 30-some chapters of Genesis that we've went through and how above and beyond all other things. It's been the people of God themselves who have been the greatest hindrance to uh, the work of God. God's people in the garden, Adam and Eve, threatened what God was trying to do. Uh, we look over at Abraham and how he went down into Egypt and brought him a maid servant back for his wife Sarah and in that and through that uh, danger or the plan of God was put in uh, danger. Uh, Isaac and Jacob time after time after time uh, in disobedience and, and failure uh, did things that was a hindrance or worked uh, as a hindrance towards the plan that God had established for his people. And, and what I'm trying to get you to see in these chapters, kind of a broad overview of these chapters is that each one of us, regardless of our past, regardless of where we are right now, have been set apart for God's glory that we might work. And in and through that, God works to bring about the divine and sovereign plan that before the foundation of the earth, before we were ever created, that He already had worked out in that place and that way that He wants to use each one of us here this morning. We talked about... Uh, Three principles that's revealed in these chapters in thinking about set apart for God's glory. And that first one we looked at that 
God can overcome our sin, but we will still suffer the consequences. And, of course, we looked at chapter number 34, and the Bible says that Dinah, uh, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And that awful and tragic thing that happened to her that was not her fault, but was brought about because her father... Uh, Jacob, who is now Israel, had been disobedient to God. God said, go back to Bethel, go back to the place, uh, uh, the house of God, and there worship me. But because of economics and because he was making some good money, he stopped and did not go all the way back there. And because of that, his daughter Dinah found herself surrounded by pagan people who were worshiping pagan gods who were doing evil things. And because of that, she was taken and she was uh, forcibly uh, raped. And then because of that, the brothers then uh, set about uh, this plan of retribution. So you, we talked about how that worked. And then they attacked and killed all the family of that uh, that had done that to Dinah. And then Jacob says, now you've made us to be a stench, a stink in the nostrils in this land that we find ourselves in. And we see that to this day, that the people of God or the, the Israelite, the Jewish people are still paying for that sin that was committed by the sons of Jacob, all because Jacob was not obedient to God. Now, did that stop God's plan? No, 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 it didn't stop God's plan. It still went on and it went forward and God was still at work. But Jacob, his sons, and the generations that would follow, even up to this point today, are still suffering the consequences. So, point number one, God can overcome our sin. But we will still suffer the consequences on this side of eternity. Even though we're redeemed and forgiven, sin still leaves us scarred. And I say that, and I'm going to move on to point number two, especially to the young people in here this morning. It literally takes a lifetime to build a testimony for God. Would any person in here who's lived uh, more than just a short amount of time in service to God disagree with the fact that you've got to build a testimony over time. Now, we do that through the work of grace, and it's God's power working in our lives. Uh, but one thing I can promise you, especially to the young, doesn't matter, though. We've seen here recently that age is no indicator of decisions that people uh, make, but that testimony that has been built over years and years and years and the influence that has been built over years and years and the hard work and the dedication that goes into that can literally be lost in a second. A split second decision and we're in sin and all that's happened. But ain't you glad this morning that even when that does happen it does not stop the plan of God? He's still God and he's still on the throne and he can still work and he can bring his plan to fruition. I don't understand how all that happens. I simply know that he's God and I'm not. But God works and can overcome the sin. Uh, but also I want to say this, I'm glad that the only paying that I'm going to do is in the here and now because of the work of Christ. We're going to still suffer the consequences and young people, sin will leave you scarred and it will destroy your testimony. But listen, our sins have been paid for for eternity on Calvary's cross and the only paying we're going to do is on this side of eternity if we're in Christ Jesus. 
And I thank him for that this morning. Sin will leave you scarred, young people, old people, middle-aged people. While God can still work in his amazing power and sovereignty, it would be best for us to just see that train going down the tracks and jump on board and get in on, on what God's doing and follow that train where God wants it to go and don't keep jump, jumping off and having to get thrown back on that train. Don't jump off to begin with. Number two, God is faithful in blessing his people so that they will then in turn be a blessing to others. In Genesis chapter number 35, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. See, there's a purpose behind God's faithfulness and his grace. And he has a will, he has a desire for our lives and he's faithful to his people so that they will then be a blessing uh, to others in light of the horrendous events of chapter 34, rape and disobedience and, and murder and stealing and plunder. In light of that, God's next words in verse number one of chapter 35 to uh, Jacob, now Israel is arise, go up to Bethel, the house of God. He wasn't through with him and dwell there and make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. God brings Jacob full circle back to the place of promise, back to the place of assurance to remind him that he's with him, he'll sustain him no matter what. Really, chapter 35 marks the end of that heron journey for, for Jacob. He had been over there for over 20 years, but it also marks the beginning of the family in the land of uh, Canaan, and there's been highs, there's been lows, there's been good times and bad times. God's done a great thing in Jacob's life, many things. Uh, but essentially, chapter 35 is providing closure for all that's taken place before in Jacob's life and opening up and illustrating a new chapter in his life, and it's illustrating that by four burials that take place in chapter number 35. Look what it says in verses 2 and following. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean and change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak. He buried them under the oak which was by Shechem, burial Number one, uh, Jacob is leading his family in a place of repentance. He's saying, hey, we've been going this direction. You still got all of these pagan gods that you're living and looking and acting just like the world around you. And it's time that we change that. And God's brought us back to this place in spite of all of our sin, regardless of all of our sin. He's brought us back to this place called Bethel, the house of God where we might worship him. And if we're going to go to the house of God and we're going to worship him, we ought to leave those sinful practices that have been in our life behind and bury those things and get rid of them. People walk into the house of God every week with sin in their life. And it's just cheap. It's just something that doesn't matter. Uh, the preacher don't know, that's for sure. It's none of my business. But God knows. 
and we think we're going to come into the house of God and worship Him to that in that place called Bethel with sin in our life, what we need to do this morning is get up where we're sitting, come down to the altar, lay that thing at the altar, and there bury that thing to be forgotten and never remembered and picked up again. So there's a burial takes place. He leads his household to destroy all traces of pagan religion, to purify themselves and to worship God. And in verse number four, they actually bury the remnants of of that sin, those pagan idols and those possessions, which included objects from Shechem and objects from Haran uh, that were brought in by the culture around them, by that pagan world. And the idea of purifying yourself, purifying oneself as a symbol of being set apart for the worship of God, set apart for God's glory. And he's called each one of us to do that. So God's faithful in blessing his people so that they will be a blessing. Burial number two. In verses five through 15, we see Jacob worship God. He confirms all of his promises, but there's another burial that takes place. They journeyed, verse number five, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. I I need to stop right there. They did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. Uh, They wanted to kill them after what his sons had done over there in verse number 34, but God himself intervened and protected uh, Jacob and, and the principle that we can get out of that this morning is no harm is going to come from us, uh, come to us. Nothing's going to happen to us unless it's allowed by a sovereign God. So why should we live our lives in fear? Why shouldn't we step out and take a risk and do something for God? Because he said, I'll take care of you. I'll keep thee in the way that you shall go. That was none of those people going to harm Jacob and his family, even though they wanted to. Why? Because God was going to raise up a Messiah from the family of Jacob. And he was going to protect him until that took place. So Jacob came to Luz in verse 6, which is in the land of Canaan. That is Bethel. He and all the people that were with him. He built an altar and called the place El Bethel. It means God's house of God. Because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, burial number two. And she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak. And the name of it was called Elanabachtheth. And... Deborah uh, was a representation. Now you've got to remember, you've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when you think of all these names, they get confused. You remember that time I was preaching about uh, uh, Esau and Jacob back about two or three years ago, and then the, we get home and Shane told me the whole message, I was calling Esau, Jacob, and Jacob, Esau, and got them mixed up. That's easy to do when you're reading all these names, ain't it? But Deborah... Uh, the nurse of Rebecca is actually uh, Jacob's mama's nurse, not Jacob's wife, Rachel and Leah. So she literally represents that former life and Isaac's getting ready to uh, pass off the scene. And uh, so we see Isaac worship God and then in the passing on of Deborah, we see God reconfirming all the promises that he's made uh, to Jacob. Jacob's foreign travels are now over. So God appears to him. He renews his covenant. Uh, It's noteworthy that when God speaks to Jacob that all the promises are not just for him, but they're given to the entire family now. The covenant of God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac's now beginning that process of passing off the scene because 
one of his wives dies. Uh, and therefore, now God gives a promise to Jacob's entire family and marks the beginning of the nation of Israel. So, God tells him in chapter number 35 to be fruitful and multiply just as he told Adam and Eve, just as he had told Noah and his uh, family. And there's a promise of royalty in the family through uh, Esau and through Jacob, and it's going to come about, but also through Judah where the Savior would come through. Simply put, as God ends one era of the people of God, he begins another, we see the purpose of Israel begin to unfold, which is to redeem the nations and literally creation itself. So there's a passing on through the death of uh, Deborah. But third, there's another burial. We see Rachel die, the wife of Jacob. But she does it in giving birth to Benjamin. Now, well, we'll just read on down. Uh, God makes his promises there, verse 11, 12, and Jacob worships him. In verse 14, he sets up a pillar. He called the place that name Bethel. They journeyed from Bethel. And in verse number 19, the Bible says, And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave, that is the pillar of Rachel's grave, until that day. And Israel journeyed, in verse 21, and spread his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. Now, burial number three, Rachel, the beloved wife, the one that... Now, you stop and think about this. What does the Bible record that, and where is that important? Well, she died giving birth to Benjamin. Two sons that Jacob had in his old age by Rachel, right? Uh, Benjamin, and the other one was, we're getting ready to look at. What's his name, Jim? Joseph. <laughs> Me and Jim's been talking about how important Joseph is. And through that death of Rachel, Jacob shows, who's now Israel, shows undue or over, overly, uh, an, over, an over amount, whatever. He shows too much favoritism to Benjamin and Joseph. Not that Joseph's done anything wrong, not that Benjamin's done anything wrong, but he does do that. But through that, now you stop and think about the sovereignty of God and how he uses and he blesses us and uses us to bless other people, uses our circumstances through Rachel dying in Jacob's old age in giving birth to one of them two boys. Jacob then shows favoritism towards them, which causes his brothers to hate them. They sell Joseph into slavery, but what does that do? It sends old Joseph down into Egypt where he rises to be second in command only Behind Pharaoh, well, then the people of God over here in Canaan start starving to death. But old Joseph, he's been down there in Egypt. And he's been saving up grain. So when the people of God start starving to death over here in Canaan, now that Joseph, after he's been sent over there into slavery, by the way, they meant it for evil. God meant it for good. He had food enough to feed the people of God so that they could survive this famine, which done away with a whole bunch of their enemies over there back in Canaan. So all of this took place. You see what I'm saying? God uses the circumstances of our life so that we can then be a blessing to others. Do you know what God told Abraham over there in chapter number 12? He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you a multitude of children. And I'm going to do this, Abraham, so that all nations of the earth may be blessed. Why did God save you? Well, most of us today would say, God saved me to do with my problems, 
so that I could live a good life and I could go to heaven. Well, those are good benefits of being saved, but that's not why God saved you. God saved you so that you could be a blessing to those around you so that you could lead other people to Christ and ultimately bring glory and honor to His name. And listen, it's good to come and sit on a church pew. It's good to walk into the house of God every other a few Sundays when we ain't got nothing better to do and hear the preacher open up the Word of God. But if you're not serving in that place that God wants you to... You're not being used for His glory. And therefore you're rejecting His purpose for your life. And as we reject God's purpose for our life, it's quite likely that then we're rejecting the purpose of His Son's life and we're probably not saved to begin with and we need to come down here this morning, repent of rejecting His purpose for our life, repent of rejecting the purpose for His Son's life, get saved and born again, and then start taking place in what God's got going on that we might be a blessing to others. Amen. <coughs> i got to quit after that. Death number four. It's ultimately Isaac's death, however, which officially marks the end of that last era and the beginning of a new. Jacob's reunited his father and when Isaac dies, Esau joins his brother in burying him. The fact that Esau peacefully joins Jacob signifies his acceptance of Jacob and that Jacob's now the patriarch and Jacob is the chosen one. The story of Isaac and in that the story of Abraham ends in Genesis 35 and thus begins the story of Israel as we're introduced to Joseph. Um, the Bible says there in Genesis chapter number 25, um, Goes and names the sons, and Jacob came to Isaac, his father, unto Mamre. And the days of Isaac were a hundred and fourscore years, and Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Uh, closes one chapter and opens up another. And you know, it's just like God. Sometimes he closes, a, turns the page on a book. But you know what? As soon as he does, he turns the page and there's another one right there, another story to be told. And the good thing is, I know this preacher gets up here and sometimes he hollers and screams and gets wild and you think, man, that preacher's really down on me. But what God's really trying to do is turn the, turn the page in that book of your life and open it up to another page and turn chapters, open a new book, whatever you want to call it, and do something great and something marvelous in your life. You see, the preacher don't get up here and scream and holler to make you feel bad. He, he gets up here and screams and hollers to let you see that God wants to turn the page of your life and do something wonderful in it, something above and beyond anything we could have ever imagined if we'd have tried to think of it ourselves. You think Israel, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Adam, Eve, any of them could have ever come up with this crazy, wild, wonderful plan that we see taking place in the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption? No, but God had that thing played out all the way from the beginning. Sovereignly designed that one day Jesus would come and one day you'd be sitting on this pew giving an opportunity to say, am I going to get in on that plan or not? So Isaac's death marks the end of his his life, but God doesn't end there. He opens up, he turns the page, he flips over to another chapter. In life, under God's directive and under His permissive will, we're going to go through highs and lows, ups and downs. 
But it's vital that as God closes the door to one chapter, we reflect on where we've been and allow him to open up another chapter of our life, a new season. One of the things I've talked to Stephen about a lot, and this just is an illustration of how God does that. Um, Some of the things that I'm able to do, uh, Stephen's not able to do. And, And... Stephen would come to me and say, uh, I, you know, I wish I could do what you're doing, whatever that may look like at that time. And I said, well, Stephen, stop and think about this. One time I had three kids at home and snotty noses and diapers to change and all these little things, and I couldn't go run the roads like I do right now. It was a season in my life that I had to be there more to help my wife and work and earn money and all of those different things. Well, now my kids don't even want to be around me unless they want some money. For the most sorry, Madison. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Uh, I forget when they're home. I can't be. Uh, but your season of life changes, right? And, and as seasons change, God wants to open up new doors of opportunity, not so that our lives will be easier or our lives will be better, though he works in that way, but so we can be used in a different and more powerful way for his glory. And that's ultimately why God sets us apart, shows us grace so that we can be used to bless others. uh, And then in and through that, ultimately, uh, he receives glory. Uh, The most glorious, most exciting reality in all of this is that the sovereign God of the universe who leads us, sustains us, but he does that in all season. Uh, This church, Zion Baptist Church, 185 years old, I I can't remember now, I just said it a few weeks ago now, I can't remember exactly how old. It's been through some ups and it's been through some downs, has it not? But can you not look back and see For those of you who've been here any time, how sovereignly God has brought it through. The highs and the lows and seasons have changed and all of that has taken place. But ultimately, uh, it's to fulfill that purpose that God has called this church to be. Well, what is the church? It's not this brick and mortar building. We could burn this thing down to the ground. We still got a church. The church is you and I, the people that got so if a church goes through highs and lows, people goes through highs and lows, church through seasons, people through seasons, but ultimately God stays and remains faithful so that we could be a blessing. Genesis 35 illustrates for us that God is faithful to his people so that we may be a blessing to others. And God has been faithful to us so that we should be a blessing. Number three, and I'll be done. Beyond all human merit, God is faithful to his promises. Look what it says there in chapter number 36. I'm not going to read these things, by the way. If you're doing your yearly Bible study, you ought to have been reading them. Uh, So I'm not going to do it. I can't even pronounce most of them. Now, these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. The death of Isaac, the rise of Israel, the end of one season of life, the beginning of another ultimately brings us back to the covenant of God, the promises of God. And in chapter 36, we find uh, the author uh, 
Moses tying up loose ends by detailing all the generations that follow Esau. Now there's a whole bunch of that in there about bear two, bear two, this was the daughter, this was the son. Matter of fact, all of chapter number 36 is simply a lineage of Esau and how God worked. Uh, But, matter of fact, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter number 25. Genesis 25. I want to read you one verse of Scripture. Genesis 25, verse number 23. Now here's the Lord. He's speaking to Rebekah, who's going to give birth to sons. And the Bible says in Genesis 25, verse number 23, And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people and the elders shall serve the younger. But he told her that there would be two nations in her womb. Later on, God tells her that one's going to be, uh, that out of Esau was going to come chiefs and princes and kings. And then all of a sudden after that, Esau's kind of steps off the scene. He's done dirty by his brother. The Bible says that he goes another direction. He doesn't follow God like uh, uh, Jacob does. But even though Esau did not do that, God is still faithful to his covenant and to his eternal purpose and the word that he had said to those parents years and years and years ago. And the principle there is, as we look at this genealogy, you can see over and over, and I'm not going to read them, Because there again, I can't even pronounce the name. But you can see over and over as you read through this, the words chief, prince, king, duke. As a matter of fact, me and Jim was talking about the first time the word duke, the only time that I know it's used in the Bible. What's that say? That God kept his word even in the midst of all that was going on around them, that God was still faithful to his covenant, to the promises that he had made to his people. Now, Israel and uh, Edom grew up alongside of each other. If you'll stop and think about it, Jacob and Esau were brothers, full brothers. They had the same father. They had the same mother. When you go back a generation, or or two generations, you go to Isaac and Ishmael and all the strife that took place uh, there. They were same father, two different mothers. One an Egyptian, one was uh, from Abraham's people. And it was constant strife there. But we see two people brought up together, one Edom, one Israel, that we see some 1,500, 2,000 years later after the captivity that God brings these two groups of people back together again and they become one indistinguishable group of people that we now know today as the Jewish people because God had made that promise that out of Esau was going to come kings and princes and rulers and he kept his promise in his divine uh, sovereign will and in his sovereign grace. So the principle we can get out of Genesis chapter number 36 is this, and I'm going to be done. Each one of us here today, God has made some promises. You say, Keith, God's not spoken to me and made promises. Oh, yes, he did. Open up your word and read it. He's made promises to you. And he's going to keep those promises. One of the greatest promises, one of the most simple promises, he said, I'll never leave thee or forsake thee. One of my favorite promises that he's made is over there in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 when the Bible says that one of these days Jesus is going to return 
and he's going to descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ are going to rise and we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord's in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. He's made us a promise that there's a heaven and he's building us a mansion there. I go to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. Revelation chapter number 4. Revelation chapter number 20 when he describes what heaven is going to look like. That's a promise to us that there'll be no more tears there, no more crying, no more sorrow, neither will there be there be any more sin and God has made these promises and over and against all human merit, over and against all, we can't work for that thing. There's so many people sitting in churches this morning all over America and they're trusting in their church membership. They're trusting in the experiences they had when they uh, were young and all of these different things to get them to heaven and there's no relationship there. And if anything... Uh, chapter number 36 ought to highlight for us because there was some wicked kings and wicked princes and wicked rulers come out of the lineage of Esau that literally over the years troubled and terrorized and, and caused problems for the people of Israel that over and against any human merit, God is faithful to his promises and the covenants that he's made to us. What, what are you saying, Keith? You can't earn your salvation. You can't earn the promises of God. You can't do anything to add to them or take them away. So why should we simply not rest in the fact and, and take... There's people walking around with their lips so pooched out you'd think that they just went bankrupt and their dog died and they didn't have nothing to eat for supper. And the Bible says that, it, that, that God's literally given them the keys and the kingdom that He created. And we walk around like the world's going to end. Mm. You know what I did to earn all of that? Not a single thing. Over and against all human merit. God is faithful to his promises. So stop trusting in your church membership. Stop trusting in some experience that granny had back 40, 50, 70 years ago and start trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. It's been done. Everything needed for life, everything needed for godliness has been taken care of through the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say it one more time, and I promise I'm going to quit after that. Your church membership will not get you to heaven. At best, it might get you a place to be buried out here somewhere that won't cost you $500. But it will not get you to heaven. So stop trusting in it and build a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that died for your sin. The devil believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil believes in him more than most of us do and he's condemned to hell for eternity. Why? Because he's never invited Jesus to be Lord of his life. He's never said, I submit to you, you're king, I'm not. My life has to conform to what you say is right, what you say is wrong. Most of us have a difficulty making somebody else Lord of our life. How do I know that I'm saved? How do I really know that I'm saved? I'll tell you how I know. Because I used to wake up every morning. And all I did was sin and didn't care. I was disobedient to God. 
and I did nothing to correct it. When God saved me, I'm going to tell you what, I can say something to somebody that I think hurts their feelings and I'm going to tell you what, it eats me up. The Holy Spirit of God convicts me and it eats at me till I've got to make that thing right. Above and beyond anything else, I know that I'm saved because I'm not the same person I used to be. Now, I couldn't do anything to change that. That's a work of God in somebody's life. But if I can live day after day, week after week, year after year in disobedience to what God says I need to do, what I don't need to do in service and worship, He saved us to be a blessing to others that we might bring Him glory. If our lives is not reflecting that and we're not convicted of that, it's probably because the Holy Spirit of God is nowhere inside of us to convict us and show us the right way to go. Amen. What do I do? Get saved. Get saved. Get saved. Now, I understand there's probably no sin in the Bible that a Christian is not capable. We read that. We've, huh? We've read about that in Genesis. I mean, there's some pretty bad stuff goes on in Genesis from God's people. But what you don't see is it continuing in God's people without a repentance and a turning. Uh, so, Christian, if you're here this morning, I want you to understand it's not your works of righteousness. Jesus has took that on. He's took care of that uh, on the cross. If we're a redeemed follower uh, of Christ, we just simply need to recognize that our life is not about us. It's about the, the great God who created the universe and redeems us and who wants us to hear his word, who wants to set us apart according to his grace that we might bring him glory and then permit him, allow him, ask him if he will then help us that our lives might be used for his glory against and over and above any human merit God is faithful to his covenant it's not like having a, a dog having a leash around our neck where he drags us that simple fact ought to drive us motivate us and cause us to want to serve him with everything that we've got until he calls us home let's pray Father we love you God, I thank you that against any and above and over all human merit, you're faithful to your promises. And God, as we gather this morning as your people, we're not perfect. Lord, if you'd look into my heart and the hearts of the, those that are gathered this morning, you wouldn't see anything different than from Jacob's, than from Isaac's, from Abraham, even Esau. But God, you'd see us, a selfish people, who want to live it and do it our way. And God, only through the power of your Spirit can that be changed and our lives be transformed so that we no longer try to do it our way, but we say, God, here I am. Help me to do it your way. So Lord, I pray that you'd just work in the hearts of your people this morning that we would do exactly that. We thank you, God, that we've been set apart for your glory. We thank you, Lord, that in your great and eternal plan, you saved us that we might be a blessing to others, that you might be uplifted and glorified. And Father, we thank you that you can overcome our sin, even if we have to suffer the consequences on this side. 
Lord, when we get to eternity, all of that will be behind us. So God, I don't know exactly what your people need to do this morning, but Lord, I know there's some that need to say, I'm ready to serve and get on board. And Father, I believe there's probably some that need to say, Lord, save me. I've been coming to church. I've been trusting in my religion, my church membership. God, I don't want to stop all of that. Simply have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and let him be Lord over everything. God, whatever that would look like, challenge your people by the power of your spirit to do like Jacob did. Bury the past and let you open up a new chapter in our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.